in the pandemic, books were not socially distant from us. It was one of the comforts for a lot of people. There were books to read and books to follow and books to look forward to. But one of the strange things about reading, although it's done silently and it's done alone most of the time, that you want to share books, that if you like a book, you want someone else to read it, that you love the idea of a book that is, in a way, being, being part of the community or part of a community of readers. With that in mind, the art of reading is a way of bringing readers together, is a way of choosing books that I think people might like because they have given me a lot of pleasure and having a discussion about these books and bringing people together so that we all know that it's not just that reading is a form of pleasure, which it also is, but it's an art. It, it, it's actually a way for us to engage intellectually and imaginatively with words, with sentences, with what writers have done. And um, so for that reason, um, I want to share these books that have mattered so much to me. Um, will you start, um, Wendy, just by giving us a flavour uh, so we can hear your voice? Yes, certainly, I will do. And it's lovely to be here, and thank you so much for, for having me along. I'm going to read just a little section from Gloria and Max. Um, I once... This is, I'm not Gloria and... Uh, but I did once go in a, uh, in a taxi with a guy who was a professor of film to a Christian film festival. Um, and he was this very, he, he was a Pasolini expert and he couldn't believe Northern Ireland. He, he, couldn't, he couldn't believe that there were biscuits called wagon wheels. Um, so I was able to, he, to, he talked about Pasolini and I talked about wagon wheels. So I'll just read, I'll read it just a couple of pages here. Max arrived at the designated place at the agreed time. It was not a particularly attractive spot. Although it felt rural, the huge chimney of a nearby power station loomed through the trees. In the main street, he wondered if people were waiting for some kind of drugs drop. Such were the numbers loitering. Three teenage guys were taking turns to jump on the silver inflatable from the inside of a wine box. Behind them was a sign advertising hot food. A burrito wore a sombrero and had a moustache. That was fairly typical of the place. He would hesitate to brand everyone in the country rednecks because many weren't. Max had met several people at the university that he would certainly keep in touch with after he left at the end of the year. And then there was the guy and his partner who did film scores, but undoubtedly there were also a lot of rednecks. At the bus stop in front of the shop, a crowd of girls waited. One of the boys kicked the burrito sign. On the other side of the street, there was a funeral director's with an outsized drum clock above the window, its slow hand performing its sweep. Max cringed at its clumsiness. And then, turning back, he saw a heavy-set, middle-aged woman in jeans, white trainers and a pale pink anorak. She had patchy short blonde hair and looked entirely unperturbed as she stood against the front of the shop. Max wondered how this woman might feel about being in a car and enclosed space with a man she didn't know. It might make her feel less uneasy if he banged on a bit about Yannicka. That would establish that he wasn't a threat and that Yannicka was a person who, if not there in physical manifestation, was constantly there in thought. Max rolled down the window. Gloria, he said, not loud enough. Gloria, he shouted. 
It sounded ridiculous, like some kind of dreadful Van Morrison tribute act. Gloria! The woman looked over unconcerned and then walked towards the car. Hi, he said, once she got in beside him. I'm Max, and even though I have no idea how to get to this place, I've got the sat-nav to help us. It's a straight road, Gloria said, to get there. That's good to know, Max said, but he kept the sat-nav on. So, Max said, here we are on our way to this planning meeting. You're very interested in film? Gloria considered this and then said, well, I'll watch a few things on the telly now and again. Well, film's actually what I'm involved in. You make films. No, no, I teach film at the university. Oh, she said. I'm a film academic. Oh, film academic, teaching the people about films. Yes, how to make films? No, no, how to watch them. Lesson one, how to turn on the TV, she said, <laughs> looking out of the window of the car. I've just moved to Belfast, Max began, but actually my partner's still in London. Well, she's from Finland originally, but she's in London. Okay, Gloria said. Yes, she's called Yannicka. The distance makes no difference, really. Not that we're so very far apart, really. Not really. Belfast and London, we're, you know, very in love. Gloria rearranged the hood of her anorak, where it had got caught in the seatbelt. Yeah, said Max. Okay, said Gloria. So, what's your involvement then with this festival? Max asked. Mr. Anderson said for me to go, she replied. Mr. Anderson's the boss of my place. He's the boss of all the homes. They're going to be bringing all of the old people from the homes to see the films. That's going to be some job, she added. And what type of films do you expect that the old people will like? Old ones, Gloria asked. She looked around the car. You picking anyone else up? No, just you, Gloria. The cars flashed by in the other lane. There was a buzz in the car from a fly. It crawled along the dashboard and then flew off to land again on the dashboard. Where is the home where you work then? Max asked. On the way out of Carrick, she said. Max smiled. Well, that's dependent really on which way you came into Carrick, isn't it? Gloria paused. If you don't know whether you're coming in or out of Carrick, there's not a lot of hope for you, she said. I'll leave it there. Thank you so much. Wendy, um, I want to ask you, how do you start a short story? Uh, you know, that, in other words, if you said, tomorrow at three, I'm going to write the first sentence, would that ever work? Or if you have a notebook, or if you have a way of remembering. I mean, I'm looking at the opening of the story, the actual story itself, Dance Move, mm -hmm. and I'm just looking at these, these plain sentences that start, and I'm looking at a sort of hidden rhythm in them. I'm looking at a sort of naturalness of the, that the breath, that the breath matches the rhythm, and I'm wondering if you could tell us how this happened. I'm just simply this. This is the opening. A, a woman Kate knows went to beginner's pole dance. At the end of the six-week course, in addition to a certificate, there was an evening event for family and friends. Just, just, just those three sentences. And I wonder if you could help us, uh, those of us who want to read stories better or those of us who want to write them, as mm -hmm. to how you get this. 
Okay, okay. Right, welcome. I nearly always I nearly always work in the same way. And what I'm normally doing is I will have maybe a bit of an idea for a story or I will have an idea of a character. There might be somebody or other that's sort of presenting themselves to, to me. And what I do is I don't put pen to paper for probably about three weeks and I just keep thinking about it over and over again. And it's kind of quite a nice feeling. It's the feeling of, you know the way if you've got coins in your pocket and you're, well, maybe we, we can hardly remember that, about coins in our pockets now. No, but, no, I, well, I'll speak for yourself. <laughs> I mean, I... Coins in your pocket and you're thinking, what am I going to buy? What am I going to buy? So you know you've got something there, but you don't quite know what it's ever going to translate or you know it's actually going to become eventually so I leave it there for about three weeks and then after that I start writing and the way I write is I write knowing that whatever will be the start in the final story final version will absolutely not be the start on this first first um, draft so I probably write my stories are about 6,000 words that sort of length. And so this first draft, I write maybe 20,000 words. No restrictions whatsoever, taking it in whatever direction I feel like. And it's it's really enjoyable. It's it's a lot of pleasure because it's just putting it all, putting it all down there. And sometimes I might even just do it in bullet points at times, or you know, I'll move around all over the place in you terms mean of you'll the narrative map it voice. Out. Uh, no, just like not that. even mapping it. I, I I honestly really don't know what's gonna happen in it. I, I don't know where it's going. So I'm just I'm I feel like I'm along for the ride. Now, this always sounds slightly mystic Meg, Doris Stokesish or whatever, as if I'm not in control and, you know, it's as if these things are happening, I'm along for the ride and this thing's moving of its own volition. But it does feel like that sometimes and that's quite exciting. So after I've got this big first draft done, because I think it's incredibly intimidating, the idea of trying to write a good first paragraph. I mean, people always say this about, oh, if you're writing a short story, the first paragraph has to be some sort of bravura, you know, sparkling, you know, work of genius or else people aren't going to want to continue. I, I don't really feel that that's, that's, the, that's the way it needs to work. But what I do after I've written this really long first draft is I read it back and think, right, what, what is there here that I like? You know, and sometimes something that I've thought is so central is actually totally peripheral. And also as well, sometimes things that I have thought are absolutely on the sidelines, I think, yeah, that's actually really, really interesting. So with that story, uh, what I've been thinking of, I'd, I'd read an Edith Perlman story, uh, a just short explain story. Edith Perlman. Just so just Edith, Edith Perlman is an American short story writer. And I had read a short story of hers, which was about a child, a, a child who had a, a sibling with learning difficulties and the sort of dawning on this child that their own life was always going to involve um, a kind of level of complication because of their, because of their sibling. Um, and not resentful about that, accepting, but you know, knowing that this was going to bring a, just a, some, something, to their, something to their life which was always going to be there. And so I had kind of thought about that, but that's very far from pole dance. Um, and so that 
that was something else that just came into the mix in that really, really long first, uh, first, first draft. So then what I'm doing is, after that, I'm thinking, right, what's of interest here? And how can I, how can I shape this in some way that this is going to be a satisfying experience for, um, for a reader? And so I'm just taking that down, maybe, I don't know how many drafts, 10, 12 drafts or whatever, losing more and more and more each time, moving things, moving things around. I'm normally trying as well to operate with lots of different timelines. Um, and so I'm trying to, I'm trying to work that in um, also. You're fascinated by the idea of lostness of people who have lost their yeah. mind, lost, yeah. their, lost their moorings, lost homes. And I have an image, I just wonder if you could, if you could tell me how wrong I am, mm -hmm. of you on a bus or you walking the street just seeing a face and seeing Mrs. D'Alessandro or seeing, <laughs> seeing Roberta mm -hmm. or seeing the boy in Bildungsroman. Just for a second, a fleeting view of a face and that that might give you, give you something. A second, not, not knowing anything about them, but just a second glimpse of some body. Is that wrong? It's not wrong. Some, sometimes I have seen people, I, I don't drive, so I am on buses constantly. Um, and so sometimes I have seen people and, I, and I've, I've looked at them, I've watched them, and I've thought to myself, I, I, wonder, I wonder what's happening there with those, with those people. But more often than not, it's, it's something that's less tangible than that, that actually seeing a, a, particular, a particular person. I mean, one of the most, in, in the other collection that I have, there's a story where um, it's, it's said in a, part of it is in a children's, a children's home. And at one point there is, um, at, at one point there's, there's the children are watching a, um, a, a documentary where there's one of those time-lapse things with a, um, a flower blooming. And this child turns round in total wonderment to the other kids um, to say, look, isn't this wonderful? And the other kids are kind of horrified at seeing this child turn round like that because they don't like that kind of delight and innocence. Um, and they see that as something that's going to be dangerous for that child in that particular situation to have such a delight and innocence. So. You know, that was just something that visually came to me very, very clearly, which I ended up incorporating in one of the stories. Do you um, sometimes work with, I need to do the opposite of what you expect me to do. So if I have two sisters, just mm -hmm. let's start with two sisters. Okay, one is going to be in Northern Ireland, one is going to be somewhere um, in England, and you're going to have the meeting. Mm -hmm. And you've got all the class tensions, you know, that one of them has made, husband's made a fortune, the other one, and so they're, they're, they're traveling. What actually begins to happen is a sort of extraordinary lust. I mean, a feeling of absolute sort of sexual desire that that Rhonda mm -hmm. has for her brother-in-law. That's a sort of creeping feeling that won't leave her alone. becomes totally convincing. The story is not about sibling rivalry. It's not about some of Northern Ireland travelling. It's actually about something much more mysterious than that. As to that extraordinary attraction she feels for him. And um, again, again, it's a question. There is a question. I promise. <laughs> is you know. Do you move towards that unexpected connection um, as you work, as, as you're drafting? Do you begin with the character? So you begin with, okay, sister in Northern Ireland, sister in England. One visits the other. Is that how it starts? 
yeah, it, st it starts. Yes, it, st it starts with me thinking, right? Okay, here's these here's these two sisters, and I had the idea that they were gonna that they were going to go over to one lot. We're going to go over to visit the other the other lot, and I really just wanted to get the sisters right. It's really not ever very schematic with me, where I'm thinking, okay, let's have a sort of antithetical movement here, or let's defy our reader's expectation, or anything like that. It was just what was generated by those by those particular by those particular characters. And so, like one of the the woman, you know, the way the woman is like re she really fancies her sister's husband, and he represents everything that she's not had. And you know, he's he's well off, and you know, he is so kind and all the rest of it. And then she sees his shoes, and it's just like, nah, right, sorry, right, it's, it's, it's nah, that's it. And you know, I unplanned that, but it just came to me when I was writing it that that just totally makes everything collapse, all those fantasies for all those months. Shoes can just... And one time I was telling people about this and there was a man wearing those shoes. You know, you know the way their tods are... Hopefully nobody's wearing them. But, you know, yeah. Yeah, we all got to start worrying about it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, the stories deal, ironically sometimes, with the interior life, with eccentrics, with people who have lost things. Mm -hmm. um, there are moments then of sort of fearless brutality mm -hmm. that really surprise you when you come across the idea, for example, I don't know if anyone else noticed this, there, there's, there's a story about a poster which has been up of a, of a sort of missing child and mm -hmm. the, the mother uh, you know, has all sorts of responses to it. But as the paragraph begins, it's relief that there are fewer posters to find these days. Okay, you can see that as an absolute, you know, th that sentence would, you know, you, you, can, you can see her mind. And then it goes, it's reassuring going back over roads where she's been before. So mm -hmm. it's all, those two sentences suggest a sort of melancholy, a sort of acceptance, a sort of coming down from experience. I mean, I mean again, I'm talking about that idea of a plain style mm -hmm. that actually does quite a lot of work without any reader noticing. Just, it's relief that there are fewer posters to find these days. It's reassuring going back over roads where she's been before. You know, so you have that, mm -hmm. now look what you do. People defaced them sometimes. Poked, they, they poked out his eyes or drew glasses on him. She's seen approximations of penises, various shapes and sizes. Curtis wouldn't have been offended by that. She was called into the school once because he had drawn something similar on a textbook. He would probably find it funny. But for the reader, it's people defaced them sometimes. Watch how after the two plain sentences with quite, you know, a, a lot of single-syllable words, mm -hmm. you go into a sentence that has only four words, people defaced them. Sometimes. They did what? They defaced them. So you're dealing about a sort of an undercurrent sometimes of, 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 of social unrest, to say the least, and a, and a sort of violence in the air. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and how amazing have you worked with it so closely? Yeah, that's totally, that's totally what it is. I mean, I was shocked when I came to it because, uh, you know, what, what I was finding in, in some of the stories was a sort of um, post-troubles way of dramatising interior worlds, um, things, th um, problems that have arisen through people's personalities or strangenesses without the large political questions being dramatised. And then sometimes I find that the large political questions are there in tiny sentences, in little moments, which really unsettle you mm -hmm. by the fact because you're not dramatising them from the beginning of the story. 
You're mm-hmm. putting them in, in, a, in a, I mean, a way which could be sly or cunning, but certainly works on the reader thinking, this is actually a political story in some way, by the fact that it's left out politics for most of the story, and here it is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, I suppose what I was thinking was, you know, how, how, do, how do politics affect, affect people in, in the North? And how does the, the, the legacy of the Troubles and all of that, how does that affect people? And there's no one sort of homogenous Troubles experience um, and there's no one particular way that people have been affected. And I was wanting this kind of undercurrent of, of, of violence to be there quite a lot of the time and, and brutality. Um, but it's not... It's it's not something that's manifesting itself in the same way in all of the in all of the stories. Yeah, yeah. You know? Um, no, each time you come across it, I think other people might realize that 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 it comes as a surprise. But but what is also there are sentences which really um, offer a sort of domestic harmony, sort of image of domestic harmony that I think is new in writing about the city of Belfast. Mm. We don't, I mean, it's, it's pre-Troubles, something like Brian Moore. There's mm. always a sort of sense of tension and un- unease everywhere. But I mean, if you get, um, um, she's, she's talking about her daughter um, and she's saying, um, she isn't going to give Clara a hard time. She, she will, without complaint, give Stacey a lift home, wherever that might be. And when she comes back home, she will sit with Alan and have a glass of wine with the patio doors open, looking out onto a half-cut back garden in the dark. Now, that might again seem like a very plain sentence, Mm -hmm. but in the context of Belfast, that is actually breaking glass. Mm -hmm. Because you're, I mean, what? So you you go, um, she comes back home, she will sit with Alan and have a glass of wine with the patio doors open. So you're actually in a sort of designed interior where there is complete social ease. And at the very end of the story, I mean, it's a beautiful end to that story, Dance Moves, where she just watches the dancing. And you think, something's going to happen. Someone's going to hit someone. Someone's going to throw something. No, it's just dancing. All these limbs everywhere, liquid and loose. You know, th- so that you're, you're constantly creating images that are almost new in the, in the city for, 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 about which you're writing. Do you think so? I, I never do, thought yeah, that's I do. really... I mean, I really noticed it. I thought yeah. that, that isn't even in Brian Moore's early Belfast novels, that sense of patio doors open. I know there were no patio doors in the 50s, but, uh, but I mean of people, a, a family, a woman watching her daughter dancing, a woman coming home, and each image in, in that is the glass of wine, the husband, the whole bit is of everything being peaceful, everything being easy. Mm-hmm. I, I found that very dramatic. That's good. Did you like? Did you like that character? Oh that yeah. Woman. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, I mean, I just loved the way you couldn't predict where she was going next, and you know, what was her problem? You realize, no, I it cannot be named. In other words, I, th- I think we're talking about the idea in character in fiction. The more characteristics a character has, the more texture you can get from the story. So if you say someone, she's just depressed, or she's mean, or he is, in fact, you know. He's always cheating, if, and that's all. But if you do add five more things to that, mm. you get a sort of texture. So I felt in that story that, that you were constantly, uh, I suppose, uh, refusing to settle on a single definition of the woman at the heart of that story. Mm-hmm. That's good. That, that, that's great to hear, because that is what I am trying to do most of the time. I think that... that 
an occasion when I moved quite far away from what I normally try to do is with that character Max that I that I read about there because to me he's a character that I've written that moves most towards somebody more two-dimensional really you know that I'm, I'm maybe more judgmental of him as, as well than it would be of, of some of these but, other but characters. It, but isn't that because he's the outsider? And he, he, she's, he's been seeing really through her eyes, mm -hmm. e even though that isn't actually there all the time. But for the reader, he is the outsider. So he isn't, he's not as interesting as she is. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's really important for the story, that she doesn't really see him. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he does, she doesn't really see him and he does not see her. And yet he is the person who prides himself on being a professional seer. Mm -hmm. You know, he sees himself as the professional person who, who is able to watch. Mm -hmm. um, and yet he sees practically, he sees practically nothing. Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, at the end of the troubles um, in the 90s, uh, I suppose everyone who was a writer was wondering, and readers, what will happen now in Northern Ireland? I mean, what television dramas will be made? What images will come out of the society? What poems will be written? What novels will be written? Because if the society is now at peace, this essential drama that people have been working with for so long, all the images of disharmony mm -hmm. or of, of pure violence or of sectarian hatred, since all of that will go, what will be, what will be left? And it seems to me that you have address this d directly in this book mm -hmm. of saying, actually, if you don't mind, this old relationship, Catholic-Protestant, Northern Ireland, the mainland, Northern Ireland, the Republic, the free state, that all of those binaries, all those old dramas, you're just not going to go, that there's, there's, there's nothing for you now in this. It's cliche, it's old, it it's, it's really has to be dealt with in a very, I think, confrontational way almost in the story. Saying, mm -hmm. Actually, if you don't mind, could we, I mean, we being people in Belfast, have fiction about ourselves in which there are just characters and the characters' own strangenesses mm -hmm. are what I'm going to dramatise rather than the old story back again that, oh, there was a Catholic and then there was a Protestant, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. uh, and you're just not... I, I wonder, actually, am I right in thinking the words... Catholic and Protestant are not in I the I don't book? think they... Yeah, I don't think they appear at all. Uh, no. I don't think they do, no. so it's remarkable. Yeah. It's such a relief. Is it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. that's good to hear. That's really but, good. But what I'm wondering is, did you actually, you know, work this out fundamentally for yourself that I'm not going to try and find this old drama again. I'm going to try and find a new way of writing about character um, in my city. Well, I suppose my main thing is, Colin, I just do not think people wake up in the morning and when they open their eyes, the first thing they think is, I'm a Protestant. Do you, do you know, yeah, I just yeah. cannot believe it, right, that that is how anyone operates, even people that are absolutely really hardcore, right? To me, that is just not how people are. I think they work up and they think they wake up and they think maybe about the person they fancy or they think about what they want to eat or maybe they think about something to do with the workplace or they think about a multitude of other things other than that being um, the essential thing that they first consider. And suppose I just wanted to write about people that, yeah, they're from a particular quite circumscribed geographical locale, but they're also, you know, they're also so much, so much more than, than, than that. And if you just basically define people by these categories, 
it, it, it results in a very repetitive type of, uh, type of writing, I, uh, I think. I mean, I've said this before. I mean, one of the things I, I did get whenever the first book came out, people did say, oh, it's a very, very um, vivid portrayal of, you know, a particular place in East Belfast. And that's very flattering. And that's very good. But you want to move beyond local colour literature, you know? If what's so delightful for people is that they can go, oh, I know that butcher shop. It's next to the, <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. Next to the yeah, petitions. Yeah. I know that. That's not that's not enough, you know. Um, and what I ended up saying in this in this newspaper um, interview one time was, um, you know, I am trying to write about the world's biggest themes, right? Which made me sound the most pompous fool ever, you know. But I was trying to make the point that what I'm trying to look at here is, you know, trauma, loss, you know, um, coercion. What. All these sorts, all these sorts of things. And my friend sent me a message and said, oh, you know, great that someone's finally got round to doing it, you know, after all of these um, centuries of literature that finally someone's writing about the world's biggest themes and it's me, you know? I really did I, I dropped that. I just dropped that person. I would find that, you know, just, <laughs> just, just delete all messages from them. I, I mean, this, this is really a serious matter because... It is, it um, is. Because what's also missing in the book is a sort of local colour that you're talking about, that you're not naming the pubs we love or, the, you know, the, we were talking mm -hmm. earlier about pubs in Belfast. You're, you're not going through the, the sort of um, Titanic Quarter mm -hmm. or, 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 or even you're finding your own little part of East Belfast and naming it and mm -hmm. naming it and naming it, mm -hmm. that you're actually clearing all that out of the way. You're clearing... What, what you're clearing, is, speaking of the past, is immense centuries of history. Mm -hmm. um, all local colour to get down to what you've just described, which is how strange it is to be that person, and what are they going to do now? Mm -hmm. So that it actually gives you a sort of, it gives you a sort of freedom that you don't have if you start thinking, I'm from Belfast. I have to be a Belfast writer. Belfast, what is Belfast? You know, that 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 you have. It seems to me deliberately. But I'm wondering how deliberate. It is, deli it is deliberate, right? But here's the, here's the other thing that would be really remiss of me not to, not to also talk about, is that I'm, I'm saying all of this and I'm saying that these people aren't defined by where they're from. However, people have also said to me, do you think you'll be able to move beyond East Belfast? Or do you think you'll be able to, you know, m move to a different type of, you know, a different type of milieu or whatever? And I kind of think, well, why would I want to do that? Yeah, because... did he ask Homer, did he want to move beyond Greece? Yes, well, that's, you know? the, that's the thing, you know, are people more interesting? You know, the, you know, we're all sitting here, are there people more interesting because they live in Park Slope in Brooklyn? Are the people more interesting because they lived in certain parts of London or whatever? I just don't think people's lives are more complex necessarily. Anywhere, anywhere else. Uh, there's something else you do um, in a story called Memento Mori, mm -hmm. where you know, okay, we have Belfast and we have two women who meet and obviously fall in love, and um, you think, oh, it's going to be a lesbian story mm -hmm. set in mm -hmm. Belfast, mm -hmm. and oh my lord, what's going to happen with the neighbours? Yeah, and you just refuse to do that drama. Yeah, it's nobody gives two hoots. Yeah, yeah, in that story, that's just yes, exactly. That's just not that's just not something that is is an issue. Yeah, yeah. Um, Everybody here, I mean, we, have a, we should have a vote after as to which story um, we like best. But um, I was telling you earlier that the story, Sal, yeah. really caught me because I didn't know for some pages where, why, what. But you were holding me by just her return to Belfast. So it's mm -hmm. a sort of almost a classic shape to the story where someone has come back home and something has happened to them while they were away 
and we're getting images of it and glimpses of it and clues about it. But we have to wait. And when it becomes apparent, I was really, oh no, this is much worse <laughs> than I thought it was going to be. And, um, you know, and again, it's that journey out of Belfast. Mm -hmm. um, it's, that, it's that journey to somewhere else where somebody goes through an extraordinary experience and then comes home. Mm -hmm. But um, I, I, anyway, that's my favourite. And I just wonder if you could tell us about it. Yes. So that, that story, Sal, I can remember reading about... Um, there was something like this happened in Brixton. I don't know if people can, can remember reading about this in, um, in, in the paper, hearing about it on the, on the TV. And um, the man ended up um, imprisoning... Um, women, um, his, his wife and kid, and he was a very, very controlling, very, very controlling um, individual. And I can remember that one of the people that was part of this um, commune, um, she was from she was from Northern Ireland. She was from Belfast, and I can remember seeing it on the TV that whenever they were um, taking people out eventually of, of this place in Lambeth, she shouted something like um, "stay depression" or whatever in this terribly polite Belfast accent. So even after all that time in this in this particular sort of commune, she still had this terribly nice Belfast accent. And I thought that's really interesting. How has somebody ended up there? And this was somebody that had you know really, I suppose, idealistic um, and quite genuine political beliefs at, 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 at one point. So I just started writing as this person, um, doing my usual trick of doing the first draft and taking a long time and, you know, imagining that I was this person for a little until they kind of took shape. And... You know, just thinking as well about what happens in a group, that whole idea of the group and people that are very influential within the group. And you know yourself, say, for example, if you group of friends, what a difference it can make whenever one of those people isn't there, um, how it just shifts everything in terms of relationships. So within this group of people in sale, one of the people, as you know, you know, he dies. And just the twist of that allows for these other two to kind of move into the ascendancy and take and take uh, and take control. Um, I'm just so interested as well, I suppose, in in, in homes and how things are normalised within a particular within the home. And so, in a sense, this little um, cell of these you know radical individuals is a home. And Various things are normalised within that, you know, eating ice cream all the time and this, or, you know, not cooking certain things, always having Baraka. And in a way, that, that's writ large what happens in everybody's house, I think. We have our, all our own little sort of internal, in our own little sort of statelets, we have our own little rules. Um, there's, there's, again, there's a paragraph or the end of a paragraph here where I'm just looking at a few sentences. Yeah. And, um, I mean, this is, um, this is really marvellous. Obviously, Caro is a, as we know, she's a sort of diehard Marxist. Or yep. she's, um, but she's got a problem, which is that she's from middle-class Belfast <laughs> and that she's in, and it happens to everyone Irish in some way or other in England where somebody just presumes you're something. They say, I, I don't know what you're talking about. You're presuming you must have been badly, you know, dealt with by in school by some priest. I said, oh, I liked, you know. Anyway, um, here she is. And um, perhaps she was still a little uneasy when discussion turned to the Irish question. You see, you can use the Irish question here because that's the word, phrase they would use, the Irish question. <laughs> you know? And uh, because she saw her elegant tree-lined road, 
her double-fronted house. Just as simple as that. So the, the image is not given to us in any other way. That, that is where she comes from. How do you explain middle-class Belfast? How do you explain the Malone Road, mm -hmm. you know, to mm -hmm. um, radical people in, in, on, uh, in this way? And then she goes on, but it was obvious. Divisions among the people were the result of false consciousness, which was the consequence of imperialism. And so you get her in one mode, trying to panicking over the fact that she comes from this very peaceful, leafy street, and the other one where she moves into the language that has been invented for her. And so you're just watching her conflict in a way, which is, I mean, I mean what, what's I think fundamental in this story is her Irishness. Mm -hmm. Isn't that right? That in other words, she's in London and nobody really knows who she is and she can, in a way, disguise herself or become menial or servile very, very easily. Yeah. And then she's got that one guy who's from, who's from Belfast who keeps asking her. Oh, asking you know, her where? You're in Belfast. That's a good question. You're in Belfast, but where in yeah. Belfast? He yeah. asks her. Yeah. And she, that's what she doesn't want to answer. And you can see exactly what he wants to know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And they kind of use that against her. Um, you know, you have got Bridget has got an inkling of how she is from, you know, a reasonably affluent background. And she sort of uses that that against her, um, sort of leverage against her as well at, at one point. So, yeah. I don't know, Carol, Carol's a character I feel a lot of, a lot of sympathy for. And some people, you know, call, I'm delighted that you like this one because some people said they thought this was the bleakest one. Now, my husband doesn't like it. And he said he thought it was the bleakest one in the collection. He said he thought it was very depressing and that you know, this was the most hopeless one of them all. And other other people have said that um as 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 well. They have they have found this a very, very bleak one. I suppose the bleakness interested me. You know, the fact that she she really was so well educated and yet she went into this world and as you say, it grew normalized and um it was very cruel. And mm -hmm. when the police find them, the, the questions the police can ask are so basic and yet she has no answer. But she does survive. Mm -hmm. I mean, she does go back to Belfast. She does get set up again. You set up her brother very well mm -hmm. so that he can, mm -hmm. the one who gets her out of there. Yeah. And she then is her little niece who, in a sense, idolises her and makes a bizarre kind of analogy between Carol and Patti Smith, yeah. you know, as if this, as if Carol, with all her issues, is kind of like this great sort of, you know, rock and roll outsider figure uh, at someone to, to, to admire. But I mean, I wonder if bleakness is an interesting word to look at because yeah. um, if we're not ready to read what's bleak in books and write what's bleak, then really the, the amount of things that get advertised and get glamorized and get you know, put into color pictures that if we don't have the book as, as a safe haven for anything, including the darkest things mm -hmm. and the strangest people, then we're lost. You know, that this is a, you know, that, that, that idea in, in this book, the constant way in which, um, remind me of the story in which a poor, a poor woman who's cleaner. Would you talk to us about mathematics? Uh, mathematics. Oh, mathematics? Mathematics, Mathematics, yeah. I mean that, for example, mm -hmm. the way in which she's so lost and so ready to be servile and mm -hmm. so longing for love. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, that, that one, I just leave things in hotels all of the time, you know? And I, I was thinking about, you know, cleaning hotels, what it must be like, what you find from the people that have been there, and, you know, what you 
sort of ideas you conjure up about these people that have been in these particular rooms if you're, if you're cleaning these rooms. Um, and then I thought, imagine if you found a child, you know, imagine if, if, you, if you found a child left behind. And that's what made me start to think about, uh, think about this character of Roberta. But I kind of think it's quite a transformational thing, though. Roberta finding the child is quite a transformational thing and a sort of Silas Marner, you know, George Elliott, Elliot way, where the person finds a child or has a child um, live with them. And it, it's, it's a good thing for both the adult and the child. Mm. And so I suppose I thought that this was more upbeat, really, mm. in the sense that, you know, Roberta is kind of somebody that loves her. Um, for this for this length of time, and also has um, responsibilities, and also has you know a feeling of warmth and and all of that. And I hope that I don't know what you what you thought, but I hope that she does find the child again. Um, you know, I don't think it's absolutely impossible that you know she she can't find the child. I think she she may well do. Um, just before we take questions, I want, I want to ask you. There's one word I didn't use, which I meant to use early, which is mm -hmm. the word restraint. Yeah. That um, I think if you're writing stories, you have to always watch it because it's very tempting to make characters do something. Mm -hmm. I think, what if they didn't do the thing? You know, what if the person feeling violent doesn't do anything? What if the person who wants to speak says nothing? And the, 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 the one that really got me was the um, it's Secrets Bonita Beach Crystal Can Cancun, where, you know, she's gone up to Port Rush. God bless her, Linda. And, you know, she's staying in this mean hotel and things are not working. She's gone out for a walk and, you know, the wrong restaurant. She doesn't know what to do. And she, she meets this kid who, who is homeless, basically, who mm -hmm. needs to get into her hotel. And eventually she lets him into her room. And you think, ah, what is, what are you going to do now? Because the temptation is, of course, look, her friend has gone off with a guy to Mexico. And you just think, um, surely the temptation must have been now to have a glorious night with, I mean, this very, I mean, I don't know what it is, 20 or something, but like this glorious night of lovemaking that will yeah. rescue her from all her loneliness and she'll never, and, but tell us, was, was that a temptation? Well, do you know, that was one of those ones where I was there, I just didn't know what way this was, this was going to go. Um, and there was always that absolute there was always that absolute potential there. But the feeling that came over me when I was writing that, in the, in, even in the very first draft, was this, this young man is like a replica of Richie. Um, who's her husband. Who's her husband. And she loves Richie, but all the things that have happened to Richie have made him an impossible person to, to live with. And I thought, she is now rejecting this young guy, despite the fact that he would represent all these things to her, because to do that pulls her in again to what it is she's actually rejected, and the person she rejected, she actually really, really loves. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I thought, let's not, let's not do that, and let's just go back again to you'll go home and you'll have your Chinese takeaway again on yeah. a Friday night, and let's just continue. <laughs> I mean, I suppose with short stories, I don't know if you feel this, sometimes there's, a, there's this, you know, there's the, there's the feeling that people do have to have some kind of moment of change at the end, that there has to be something that in some way, you know, 
some some moment of revelation or epiphany or, or whatever else, yeah, yeah. rather than let's, okay, there was a slight chance for that, but let's just stoically oh, continue that, that's on. That's a fascinating, I mean, I know that uh, I was, it's, it's like you're a critic of your own story, but that's a, that's a way of reading it that I hadn't, that that walking away from him liberates her. Mm. That it's not merely that she just doesn't feel ready for it or that it's not, it's not the night for this, but it is that, that actually it is, it, is a, it is a game changer. Her mm -hmm. not, she's tired of chancers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Really, isn't, isn't mm -hmm. that? And, and you're dramatizing that idea of her just, it's not exactly liberating herself because that's too strong yeah. a term. It's more gently getting out of a, of a sort of, I suppose, history repeating itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But, what, but what's, what's, what's great is that whenever you write these stories, they're no longer your own. Once you've finished, somebody else reads them. Yeah, but it's fascinating to hear you talk about it's, that. I mean, I mean yeah. as, as, as your own reader, in a way, yeah. you know, for doing this. And, and, and it was a real pleasure reading your book. And I speak on behalf of everyone here to say oh, that well, we're all really grateful to you. Honestly, so I, you. I've loved it. Thank you so much. It's been wonderful to hear what you've said. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.